Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. A gracious and magnificent Father, we give thanks and praise to you. Lord, even though we are ensnared by this world and the wicked that's wickedness that surrounds us, let us not forget your law and your promises. Lord, in the darkest of nights, let us rise to be able to praise you because of your righteous rules. Lord, that you have promised that you would be with us and a companion to all those who fear you, who keep your, your precepts. Lord, that we realize that the earth is full of your steadfast love. Teach us to be able to walk in your ways. Teach us to be able to trust in your word. Fill us with your spirit that we might be able to understand the very promises of Christ found therein. We pray in Christ's holy and blessed name. Amen. Hear now the word, Lord, from Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. This is God's holy, inerrant, life-giving word. Please take heed how you hear. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may, my, may gain Christ and be found in him having, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The grass withers and flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Why is it that we need to time and time again be reminded of what the gospel is. Martin Luther asked that question, why do we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day? His answer is because we forget the gospel every day. We are so inclined to be able to work our own way into salvation. This is what we're taught in our whole life. (laughs) Grace is not often the first inclination of mankind? The great question that we need to answer is, what is the answer we are going to give? 
When we get to the pearly gates of heaven, what answer do we say that means we are to walk on in? Often I think that our answer begins first with us. Why we think we should go. Well, I have faith. I have baptism. I have the Bible. I have fruit. I have given to these causes. I have suffered for Christ. This is the great problem. That it begins first with us. What we think we have done to be able to deserve to spend eternity with Christ. Instead of answering the question, not what we have done, what Christ has done. Well, Paul in this chapter is warning the church, that they need to be reminded of the gospel. As he says in verse 1, to be able to rejoice in the Lord. Put their faith and their trust in Christ, in their union to Christ. It's no trouble for Paul to be able to remind them, and it is safe for them to be able to be reminded of this. And he ends verse 3 by saying that we have no confidence in the flesh. And yet he turns now to be able to turn to how many people boast in the flesh. He says in verses 4 to 6 that he has all the reason to be able to boast in the flesh. If anyone was to come to Paul and say, let's have a competition to be able to see who can boast more in the flesh, Paul said, I would win. And he goes through this list of all these things of what Paul boasts in four major Categories, you might say. He says that he is circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. If anyone had special reason to be able to boast in the flesh, Paul sits there and says, I have reason to be able to boast. I was born of that special people that God had chosen through Abraham to be able to boast in in my heritage, that I was from circumcised on the eighth day, the seal and sign and seal of that covenant promise given to him on that eighth day, a people of Israel, more specifically than just the great grand people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, the, the, the one tribe that didn't leave. The other ten tribes walked away from the promise given to David, and they partnered with David, the, the first king of Israel, Saul, a Hebrew of Hebrews, the top, the best of the best, the cream of the crop. Paul says, I would boast in this that I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. More than that, the second reason he says as he boasts in the flesh is that he boasts as to the law. His relationship to law is that of a Pharisee. A Pharisee who loved the law, knew the law, could tell you the middle letter of the law. He would know the 613 laws that were given to them from Moses, that were given to Moses from, on Sinai. But not merely just to be able to keep and uphold those 313 laws, but to be able to add to them, to be able to make sure that they weren't breaking the laws as to the Sabbath, they would add requirements of what that is to be able to break the, the, the fourth commandment of the Sabbath. 
He knew all of them and he kept all of them. The Pharisees are rebuked by Jesus in Matthew chapter 23 and they said they even tithed on their mint and their cumin. Imagine this, upholding the law to be able to tithe of things that you would grow in your garden. You go out, you harvest all your vegetables, you count them up and you weigh them by pounds and you'd be able to say, what is the equivalent worth of these if I was to sell them? Work out the whole worth of your crop and then divide them up and say, I need to give the church a tenth of this portion. Run these cost analyses, not merely just on your harvest, but on your herbs. To be able to go in and to be able to say, well, this basil is worth this much if I was to buy it. I must put that in the offer. They kept the law. They loved the law. This This is what Paul was, a Pharisee. The third category is to zeal. Not merely just to be able to uphold it in a disunpassionate way, but he says, as to zeal, I was fighting for the Christians who he thought weren't upholding the law. Here they are, they're saying they're they're followers like that of Abraham. They're like David. They trust in Jesus as the Messiah is revealed in the Old Testament. And yet they do not keep the law. They do not circumcise those who are underneath that covenant promise. So he would persecute them. The fourth category is his righteousness under the law. And he said he was blameless. But here, every single requirement of the law, Paul said he fulfilled. You went down the checklist of the law, 613 of them. Yes, I've done it. Never touched an unclean thing. Never eaten an unclean food. Always gone to the the Passover feast and the festivals that are required by the law. Always made my offerings when it was due to me. Perfect. Now we have a problem when we start to read through this list. Although we can have similar issues... These are no boastings that we come across. These are none of the things that we boast in. No one comes to the church and says, I want to join the church. Here's my long list of me keeping the law. But we do have this problem. We do put confidence in the flesh, but not in the same way Paul does. The first thing... Paul was saying relationship to the covenant community. And some of us will boast in in our relationship to the church. We would say that we were baptized as an infant. That we have a perfect track record of attendance in the church. We have great giving and abilities to be able to do this. We have pedigree in the church. That not merely that I have a relationship to the church, but my great-great-great-grandfather has a relationship to the church. And we boast and we say this is what we put our trust and our faith and our confidence in. Or the second category, his relationship to rules. As as he says, he's a Pharisee to be able to know and understand them, and, and so we would boast in our relationship to the rules. We know the rules. We understand them. 
Maybe not 613 under the Old Testament, but we know the New Testament and know what it requires. We've tried to be able to keep them and know them. Or maybe not even just the relationship to the rules. We boast in our certain categories that we feel. While we're reformed, we're better than the other people that misunderstand and misapply the Bible. Well, I'm better than just being reformed. We're Presbyterian. Not more than that. We don't just merely boast that we're Presbyterian, that we uphold all the principles of law and we have the right structure of church government and the right regulated principle of worship to be able to follow. We're old school Presbyterian. More than that, we have the confession and we know the confession. We uphold the confession. We understand. We can, we can quote the catechism. We, we can do many great things. And this is what we boast in. We put our faith and our trust in, in these attributes that they're tied to our name, they're tied to who we are. Or even to be able to turn the opposite way and say we don't boast in our relation to the rules that we understand. We boast in the fact that we don't need the rules. We look and say that we don't need the law. And we have this false assurance found in this false sense of what grace is. We boast in our flesh by our relationship to our holiness, as that third category says with Paul, with this zeal. We fight for what the Bible says is true. We see it. And we say, we are holy. We are zealous for the biblical truths which are handed to us. We are fighters and defenders of the faith. And we boast that our friends are not corrupt like other people. We boast that we don't hang out with those who are sinners, or while the other end boasts in the opposite. They're zealous, but they're not zealous for defending the truth. They're zealous for hanging out with people who are sinners, and that makes them more like Christ. We boast in our holiness by how we vote in the polls, which parties we're affiliated with. We're zealous for the right reasons, the right causes. Or that fourth thing, the relationship to righteousness. Paul says he's blameless, and we say, well, we're not blameless, but we're better than most people. We're not like those wicked sinners. Or the opposite, not necessarily saying we're not like the sinners. We actually say we are sinners, and we boast in our sin. Or some people who boast in that they're woke or they know everything. They boast in the friends that they have. Or you boast in the ability to keep God's word or rules. But here Paul is, is saying that these things that we boast in, we're boasting in everything that we have done. In our understanding, in our ability to be able to keep the law, uphold the law, know the law our ability and our relationship to the church, what we have done, how we are connected. I mean, you can continue to be able to dive into more and more of each of these things, and each of them, I I think, that we would find spots in which are poking and prodding the innermost parts of our hearts where we realize that we at one point in our life had boasted in these things or put some trust in some aspect in this relationships that we have. 
our relationship to the church, our relationship to the rules, our relationship to the zealousness of holiness, our relationship to righteousness. But all of them are wrong because all of them stem from the flesh. Why should we not boast in the flesh? Here's six reasons really quickly. No matter how good we are at them, we will always fail. If this is the measurement or marker, there's always a step further we can go. When we look unto baptism, well, yes, we're baptized once, but every time we're baptized, we should look to our baptism as, we, as this is our union to Christ through the washing the word. There's always a church day that we could attend further. There's always more that we could give. The second thing is no matter what rules we make, the Lord has revealed his righteous law. It doesn't matter how we set that marker, even if we lower that marker down to be able to say that righteousness is at this level. You need to attend 48 out of 52 Sundays of every year. Well, that's not what God writes in his law. His law is perfect. His law is pure. And even though you might go to church, the innermost parts of your heart might say that I go begrudgingly, not joyfully. And God's righteous law does not merely just poke at the external, it pokes at the internal. The third thing is no matter what relationship we have to the church, it is always flawed. that we can always extend or, or further this relationship, that measurement that we have. The fourth, no matter how holy we are, we will never be holy like God. It's easy when we compare everything to others. You choose the most wicked sinner and you compare yourself to them. Hopefully you'd come off pretty good. You take down a walk down the prison where they hold the worst of the worst criminals that are in there for life times ten. Surely you'd be able to find one of them who's worse than you. But our holiness is not compared to our others, others made in the image of Adam, sinners corrupt from birth. The holiness compared to God, we will always, and we will never be holy like him. The fifth is no matter what we do, there is almost always more that can be done. Even if you have the perfect bar, the bar is never perfect. The fourth, uh, the sixth, no matter what we do in the flesh, you would never find salvation. Even if you are to go to the ends of the earth doing all this, setting your whole mind and your strength to this, salvation will never come to you. Matthew warns, in Matthew, uh, Jesus warns, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. But Paul says that in all of this, he puts no confidence in the flesh. The truth is, there is only one way of salvation. God knows our estate and our condition, and he knows that we ourselves cannot save ourselves. 
And he has never expected us to be able to do that, to be able to earn our way into heaven. Paul spells out in Romans chapter 1 that Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. For the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The gospel message is the power of God at work in believers. From faith for faith. Paul, as he recalls his his glorious transformation on that road to Damascus in Acts chapter 22, where he's standing there in the barracks before the uh, the tribune, and he's speaking to his brothers, and he's making a defense of what he is. He speaks that in the, the Hebrew language. He talks about how he was born of the Jews, brought up, he was educated at the feet of uh, Gagamel, the strict manner of law according to what the fathers had taught, zealous for God, as they are this day. That he persecuted the church, the people that call themselves by the way putting people in prison, men and women. That anyone would be able to give them reference of how great a Pharisee and zealous he was. And he just goes there, Jesus, on his way to Damascus, cries out, struck by a light that shone around him. This voice cries out, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Eventually, Saul, and blind, he goes to be able to live. And Ananias comes to him, a devout man according to law. He says in verse 13 of chapter 22 of Acts, Brother Saul, receive your sight. In that very hour, Paul or Saul received his sight and saw him. And in verse 14 is what Ananias said to him The God of our fathers, appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone for what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. That here Paul understood that all of this meant nothing that there was no way for him to be able to obtain salvation by his own will or way. Paul would have said he had no sins to be washed away. He was blameless. But yet here Ananias showed him the gospel and said, rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. For Christ didn't come to save the righteous, he came to save sinners. Here, Paul was to be able to know God's will, to be able to see the righteous one, not his righteousness found in himself, but Christ's righteousness lived through him as he heard his voice, as he saw that he was going to be his witness. This is what Paul speaks of here in Philippians chapter 3. That he was one who boasted in the flesh, but now, as you see in verse 7, he counts it all but loss. 
The boasting is gone. There's no confidence in the flesh any longer. He said, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He realized that all this gains, he thought that every time he was adding merit or treasures to his chest of righteousness and time after time, and really there was someone who came in and said, you've been doing all this accounting wrong. The balance sheet you thought was in surplus with great surplus is forever in debt. You are not, and you cannot save. All the numbers are reversed. What he thought was going in is all going out. And he says that he counts it all but loss, worth nothing. Not just some portions of it. He says he counts everything as loss. All the things that he listed and boasted in before, he says they're nothing, they're useless. And he says he counts it as rubbish. This is a quite passive, civil way to be able to describe this word. Dung. Not a nice pile of trash that we have that's neatly put in a bag and tied with a bow and put out in a trash can left for someone to collect it or until we deliver it. But this pile of rubbish that everyone would be boasting in is like a pile of exposed trash that every creature and organism have sought to be able to live in. The one with the smell, the one with the maggots that are creeping and crawling throughout all of it. And he says, this is what these things that I once boasted in are worth. They're nothing. They're futile. They're fruitless. So where does he find any value? He finds his worth not in those deeds, but in Christ. See that clearly in verses 9 to 11. And been found in him, that union to Christ. Not having any righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness of God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This surpassing worth. He realizes that all these things that he once boasted in are like a pile of trash, useless. But to be able to gain Christ... To be able to choose one thing, not the list of laws that he's upheld. And he chooses to be able to gain Christ, to be found in Christ, that he might know the power of his resurrections, that he might share in his sufferings, that he might die like him. And Paul, again, is exhorting and encouraging this church, this church which has done so much for the gospel, to be able to remind them of their union to Christ 
As he says in chapter 2, as he's beginning this long discussion, as he's encouraging them to unity, their unity which is found in Christ. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And this comes not through what Paul has done, but what Paul looks to in union with Christ. The first list that he goes through, those four categories, is, is his relationship to these external things, to the, to the covenant community, to the law, to his zeal and passion, to his righteousness. All of these are things, his relationship to this. But he says, it's not about the relationship to those things. All that matters is our relationship to Christ. It's all about knowing Christ. Knowing Christ in his power, in his resurrection, in his fellowship, in his sufferings. hard once you hear sometimes a great preacher speak and, and give a great illustration, you try and think of another one, then you cannot do anything like that. There's a famous sermon that Elister Begg gives, and he speaks of the man in the middle of the cross. You can YouTube it sometime and hear it much better from him. But he speaks of the man in the middle. He says that thief on the cross, as he dies, he comes to those pearly gates. St. Peter says, why, why should you come in? Why should I let you in? And Alistair Begg sits there and he explains that this thief in the middle has nothing to be able to explain this. And the guy at the gate says, well, can I see your baptism certificate? I don't have a baptism certificate. Well, what church do you go? Well, I've never been to a church. Well, what what Bible translation do you? I've never read the Bible. What scripture did you read to be able to know that you should? I've never read the scripture. Can you recite any of the creeds or confessions? What's your standing of Orthodox understanding of Trinity? I, I, I don't know any of that. Have you given any money to the poor? Have you, have you sacrificed of yourself? It, well, actually, I took money from people. I'm a thief. I, I was killed for being a wicked sinner. Well, why should you come into heaven? And he said, the man in the middle said I can come. My friends and I were mocking him because he said he was the king of the Jews. My friends and I were mocking him because he said that, that he was the one who was going to save everybody and yet he couldn't save himself. And then there was a moment where I realized that he was who he said he is. And he said today that I will be with you in paradise. The man in the middle is why I am here. And so too, that answer is always going to be the same. If our answer is anything but that, then we have misunderstood and we're boasting in the flesh. That often our response is what we have done, what we, our relationship to those four things that we boast in. But it's not particularly what we have done. 
It's actually how Christ knows us. The great warning that comes in Matthew chapter 7 is there's many people will come to Christ in the last day and say, Lord, Lord. But it's not those who merely just say the words, Lord, Lord, that they're going to enter the kingdom, but only those who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. On that day, Jesus warns us that many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name or cast out demons in your name? Or do many mighty works in your name? These are people that are boasting in the flesh, and many of us might not say those three things. Maybe we would say, Lord, Lord, did I not attend faithfully? Did I not give truly? Did I not uh, give to the church? Did I not seek to be able to live a righteous life in this world? Did I, did I not try and evangelize others? Did I not give? Did I not sacrifice? Did I not love? The warning is not what we have done. The warning is Christ turns to them and says, I never knew you. It's not only that we know Christ, it's Christ knows us. That our union to Him. And when we seek to be able to boast in our flesh, we miss the true essence of the gospel. That often we seek to be able to hold all these trophies that we gather in our life of being nice to people and, 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 and our relationship to the church, our relationship to others, our relationship to the law. And we hold these trophies and we carry them thinking that these are, are the tickets to heaven. But in the end, they're useless, they're worthless. It is only through our union to Christ in a great hymn, Come Ye Sinners. Says, come, ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, power, love, and power. Come, ye thirsty, come and welcome. God's free bounty glorify. True belief and true repentance, every grace that brings you nigh. Come, ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you will tarry, you'll be till you're better. You will never come at all. The gospel is to come, to look to Christ and Him alone, not to boast in what we have done, but boast in what Christ has done for us. And once we understand this, we understand the worth of Christ, that everything is useless and futile. Nothing will ever seek to be able to look towards the riches found in Christ. What a great blessing that is. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. O gracious and most merciful Father, forgive us when we have sought to be able to come and to be able to boast in ourselves, to boast in the flesh, to be able to boast in what we have done or what we have believed, what we have given. Lord, forgive us. Lord, let us not seek to be able to boast in any of those things. Let our be righteousness be found in Christ. Let us realize that all of these things are futile and fruitless. Let us count the gain found in Christ. That everything is a loss of us, of that surpassing worth of knowing Christ, as Jesus is our Lord. Lord, help us to be able to 
walk in your ways, that we might be able to know the power of his resurrection, that he might, we might be able to share in his sufferings and become like him in his death, that we might obtain the resurrection from the dead. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.